Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. Banzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. Choose from hundreds of mobile-friendly themes, then customize your design and content in just a few clicks. I use Banzoogle because they offer a free custom domain name, a commission-free store, a mailing list platform, and live support from their musician-friendly teams seven days a week. You can click the link in the episode notes or go to banzoogle.com and use promo code JEWISHSONGWRITER, all one word, to try it free for 30 days and get 15% off the first year of your subscription. Banzoogle, websites built for musicians by musicians. Welcome to Jewish Songwriter, the podcast by, for, and about Jewish songwriters. I'm your host, Sheldon Lowe, and each week I interview a different Jewish songwriter to learn a little bit about their music, their lives, and their writing process. These songwriters are some of my favorite people, and I'm excited to talk to them, draw inspiration, and to share it all with you. If you're like me, you're constantly looking for new Jewish music, so I've asked each writer to share about a new song, which you'll be able to hear in full on the Jewish Songwriter Spotify playlist and YouTube channel. Best of all, if you subscribe to this podcast, it'll automatically download to your device each week for free. This week's Jewish songwriter is Perry Smilo. Thank you very much for uh, being on the podcast. Thanks, Sheldon. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Me too. So um, for those listeners who maybe don't know your personal history, would you mind starting all the way at the beginning? You know, where were you born? And how did you become a Jewish songwriter and a Jewish artist? Where I was born doesn't really matter. I was born in Rochester, New York, but I was raised in suburban New Jersey. Okay. Where about? Um, uh, in East Brunswick, okay. New Jersey. Yeah, I know East Brunswick. Yeah. Um, but what's important about that, ultimately, on my Jewish journey, and I'll jump ahead for a second and then jump back, is that um, I was raised at Anshiemeth, mm-hmm. Congregation uh, Anshiemeth Temple, um, in the years in which Rabbi Harvey Fields was the rabbi. For those who know or knew Harvey, Harvey's been gone a number of years, but he is really the reason that I ended up on a Jewish journey. Wow. Here's how I started. I started out in a family with wonderful parents, engaged, um, very involved in tikkun olam, knew they were Jews, both of them New Yorkers, um, New York Cityites, um, but um, with zero Judaic knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, I was raised in a house for the first, you know, 10 years of my life in which we did those things that people without Judaic knowledge do. We celebrated Hanukkah. We celebrated, we got our presents on Christmas. We hmm. made Easter eggs. We had a Seder. We did a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, and what happened was, and it's now it's apocryphal. I don't know how much is real or not, but the way the story goes in my family, <laughs> I'm the eldest of three daughters. And the story goes just quickly that on one day, um, the teacher, my my third grade teacher, called my parents and said, "Your daughter's having an identity crisis." And they said, "What are you talking about?" And they said, "She said, well, I asked the kids. It was Hanukkah, Christmas to holiday season, mm-hmm. and the teacher said, "Who raise your hand if you celebrate Hanukkah? Raise your hand if you celebrate Christmas." And I broke down in tears. Apparently, I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. And the teacher, being a good teacher, called my parents and said, I think maybe your child's having some identity questions. Mm-hmm. And my parents simply responded by enrolling me in religious school. And they did so by, they chose a religious school based on where my neighbors were going. Mm-hmm. Then they found that there was this young rabbi with a beard and long hair who was preaching against the war in Vietnam mm-hmm. from the Bima. And they started to attend his synagogue because they wanted to hear his, what he was preaching about. Mm-hmm. And they went to hear him and turned out he lived around the corner from us. 
and he invited our family to join them for Shabbat dinner. And therein began a love affair of 50 years, mm. um, maybe a little less, 40 years. But mm-hmm. um, And my favorite story is of my family, a year later, my parents, my siblings and I, realizing that we wanted to do this thing called Shabbat. And we knew that we needed candles, we knew we needed bread, and we knew we needed wine, but we had no idea what else to do. So we stood around, looked at each other, and my mother said, okay, what do we do next? And we kids said, well, we think we say, Baruch Atah Anunai. Amen. <laughs> and we did that for two there. years hmm. until one day we remembered the next words and the next words and the mm-hmm. next words. And the next thing I knew, I was an EIE student in Israel. I went on to be very engaged in J- Jewish life at Wesleyan University where I studied literature and history and philosophy. I was always a musician, came out of college, was an actress, and became a member of Actors' Equity and toured for a while. Got involved working with inner city kids for many years, completely doing secular work. And along the way, I needed to make a few extra bucks. Okay, so you dabbled a little bit in this songwriting. And, you know, at a certain point, you're, you were a full-time, you are a full-time Jewish musician, right? So how so, did that happen? Yeah, what's Okay, that? so here's the trajectory. So I was working as an executive director of a nonprofit organization in Boston that works with inner city kids. I was working 80 hours a week. I was in my 30s. I was not married yet. I wanted very much to change my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I loved my work. Um, I, I had mentioned to you before the podcast began that I uh, unfortunately um, was was... Fortunately, I was working in an amazing opportunity with kids who were deeply troubled, and I ended up with gang members living at mm. my home with me, and two of them were killed once, one by a police officer in the days before Black Lives Matter, and oh, yeah. another was shot to death because he was wearing the sneakers and the jacket that the organization that I ran put him in. And I had a very deep um, need to step away from the work I was doing for a little while. But I had to pay my rent. And so what I realized was that I could continue to work doing Jewish music, and I could recharge my spiritual batteries and get paid at the same time. And I put myself out there as a sub, as a substitute Mm -hmm. for uh, cantors. And I was living in Boston where there were many reform congregations, and I became a go-to person uh, for that. I started to I taught for a while uh, music in a religious school setting. Um, I uh, took part-time jobs, and then I became a consultant for a while um, to help nonprofits, and all the while writing and singing. And so because I sang and because I read and spoke Hebrew, I could work in congregations as a cantorial soloist and sub for cantors, which is what I did. And someone wanted to pay me to get on an airplane and come and sing. And I thought, hmm, first of all, it connects to my Jewish life that matters to me. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I know how to sing. Third of all, they needed a new Vishamru at this shul. They're like, do you know a new Vishamru? I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, we, ha- we hate all the Vishamrus we're singing. Do you think you have a new one? I was like, well, I could have one by next week. Uh-huh. And that was the beginning of my career. Um, I want to talk some specifically about your song, The Priestly Blessing. And I find it interesting that earlier you were talking about one of the things that you really gravitate towards or part of your process is the fact that you'll take like two lines and you're sort of, you'll sort of repeat them. And what's uh, 
it's so great that you said that because as I'm listening to the song um, in preparation to come talk to you today, I'm I'm hearing the song and it is this. First of all, it's a beautiful song. Thank you. I love it. Thanks. Um, I'm, we're gonna use it at Temple Israel. Awesome. <laughs> um, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to it and and it grows from the beginning to the end. And I literally I'm on Third Avenue, coming to this building and listening to it one one more time, and I'm I'm focusing. I'm like, are those the same lyrics? They are. How is she getting this song to repeat? Or how is she getting this song to grow? Excuse me. And um, I, I want to I hear about your thoughts on that, if that was sort of like an intentional, uh, some, something that you intentionally put into the composition of the song. Um, because I oftentimes will get stuck and Joe, Joe Buchanan and I were talking about this. Um, sometimes we'll write a song, especially if it's based on a certain text, and the text ends, and you feel like you've said everything that you want to say, but it's not a complete song. Um, but you've managed to, to, to do that with mm. a short amount of text and to make it a three- and four-minute long that it shouldn't be any shorter, as far as I'm concerned. It takes you on this emotional journey um, that requires it to be that long. So can you tell me a little bit about how you did that? Yeah. Um, thanks for that. When I wrote the song, I had exactly the experience you just described. I got to the end of the text and I was like, uh, now what? Um, and I should say, just so it gets said, that this was a, a, essentially a commissioned piece. Um, I wrote it in honor of the um, installation of Rabbi Daniel Groper when he came out of school. He's now at a synagogue in Rye, New York, but at the time I was his cantorial soloist mm. and he had arrived at my synagogue where I had already been serving. Mm -hmm. And when he arrived, I said, please give me a text of yours that you love. I'd like to set it to music for your installation. Wow. And he handed me that English text, which comes, it's it's not the traditional priestly blessing. He right. gave it to me in English and it was exact, almost identical to what you see on the page. And it's a more ancient version. Ah. It's the Qumran sect's version of the priestly blessing. So tell me exactly when you've used it in the past and what tips do you have for any of our listeners for, for maybe teaching it or when to use it or both? Of all the pieces I've written, this one is in my heart as one that I hope will be used. Mm -hmm. um, so look, it's a priestly blessing, right? Mm -hmm. So when do we as Jews use the priestly benediction? All kinds of times, right? Mm -hmm. And we use it when we want to mark a really special moment and a special perhaps a special, a person experiencing something special, right? We want to bless sure. them. Okay. So the way in which it's most being used currently, I'm aware of, is at B'nai Mitzvahs, mm -hmm. in the moment when the rabbi turns to bless the child, the, the bar bat mitzvah, mm -hmm. and often cantors are called upon to provide a musical uh Version. Accompaniment. Yeah, accompaniment, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So what I like about this version is it allows the cantor to sing in English, first of all, for all those families and extended families yes. for whom the Hebrew doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. The English means a lot. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, you can sing it just once. Mm -hmm. And if you do, it's fine. The song holds up. It's yeah. very short and it can be used that way, especially if the rabbi's already done the blessing in Hebrew and you just want a punctuation. It's like the period mm -hmm. at the end of the paragraph, the right? Cherry. A cherry. That's yeah. a good way of putting it, the, mm -hmm. the whipped cream. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, it can also be used as an anthem statement at the end of a sermon, for example. It's not uncommonly being used there. Um, it's often being used at baby namings. Mm -hmm. So again, 
uh, when there's baby namings in congregations or when you have somebody in the family who plays the guitar and wants to dress up and make more special. Mm-hmm. You know, it's chidur mitzvah. It's really the like the embellishment of the mitzvah, right, right? Right. You don't need much more, but if you have this very short, very sweet, in English, very accessible, and mm-hmm. may I say, for guitar players who aren't skilled guitar players, mm-hmm. one of the easiest songs to play. I've, it's very, very simple on the mm-hmm. guitar. Um so those are some of the ways in which it's currently being used. Um, it can also be used at the on the last day of religious school to bless your teachers. Yes. It can be used um, as part of a wedding celebration. It can be used um, in the room of someone in a hospital who's sick and in needing of comfort. You just leave your guitar out and sing the song without the guitar. It can be used at a funeral when you want to mark that moment of passage because the last part speaks about eternal life, even though that's complicated for Jews, but it's there and the mm-hmm. it's there. Right. So whatever, it's it's in our ancient <laughs> it's, it's in our ancient text, man. Use it and sing it. Yeah. Um my process as a songwriter has always tended to I, I'm not a um very disciplined songwriter. Mm. I don't have any exercises I do. I have no formal anything. So we'll scratch section three of this now. Scratch section three. <laughs> but we'll jump ahead for a second. No, so um so what happens for me is that I I'm moved by text. Mm-hmm. And it's only because I've been at this for 22 years that now it makes sense to me. If you had asked me, you know, 20 years ago or even 15 years ago, what's your process? I might have had a different answer. But now mm-hmm. there's a pattern that I actually have some, okay. some knowledge of, right? Okay. And it's that I get moved by a piece of text and something jumps off the page at me and I think, oh my God, that's a song. Mm-hmm. So first I check out to make sure there really isn't a song yet. Right. And if there is a song, is it... Is it one that speaks to me? If there's already a song that speaks to me, then I have no need to write another one. Mm -hmm. But if there's music out there, and that's no knock on anybody else's music, but if it doesn't move me spiritually, okay, Mm -hmm. then I feel like Mm -hmm. I've got some room here to Mm -hmm. explore. That's mostly how stuff comes to me is Mm -hmm. from the text first. might also be because I love poetry. I Mm -hmm. read a lot of poetry, and I look for poetry, and I use poetry when I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. So I look for... Jewish text, whether modern or ancient, that ha- that that sings to me on the page and is asking me to compose something. It's interesting to me what you were saying about Vishamru and about going and seeing if there is another uh, version of one already. Because, you know, some people that I speak to say, do we really need another Hine Matov or something like that? So I want to pose that same question to you. Do we really need another Vishamru? Maybe. <laughs> The answer is, as a songwriter, it doesn't matter if we need one or not, because mm-hmm. we're not writing out of need. Mm-hmm. Music isn't doesn't come because we need one. Music mm-hmm. comes because the artist has a need in him or herself or their selves mm-hmm. to um, to write to say something. Maybe, or it just sometimes it's not even a choice. Sometimes it's it appears. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's just what, what what comes out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I I reject the idea that we whether we need or don't need another one. Mm-hmm. The reason I say all this is because I think for anyone um, thinking about what song they want to write, what Jewish song they want to write, I don't think you need to be discouraged in any way by the fact that there is um, another setting of that same text. thing to remember if you're a singer-songwriter is after you've written a song and it's been in the world for a little while, it no longer belongs to you. That's right. So. In the best of cases. 
Yeah, it doesn't. In all cases, in all cases. anybody who sings that, and all anyone who sings your music, it becomes theirs. Yeah, it's not yours. Even if they just are in the congregation and they're singing it, it's not yours. Mm-hmm. I never, I almost never use the term "this is my whatever." Right. Almost never, I'll say this is my composition, mm-hmm. but it's not mine. I wrote it so it would be sung. Mm-hmm. It's actually theirs. That's who it belongs to. Yeah. Okay. You just have to give the first one or two word answer that pops into your mind. No cheating. What is the last book you read? White Houses by Amy Bloom. What's the last movie you saw? One of the Marvel movies with my daughter. (laughs) Black Panther. What is your most used emoji? The smiley face with the hearts and the eyes. Mm -hmm. What is your guilty pleasure song? The song you're embarrassed to love. Someone left a cake out in the rain. Harry Chapin? No. Jim Croce? Uh, No, I don't know. But I I love that song. But don't tell anybody. I'm telling everybody. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to Shazam it. I have no idea. We'll find it. Yeah. Thank you for being on the podcast, for being so generous with your time and with your stories and being honest with everyone and being willing to share your amazing journey. And um, this has just been so, I don't know. You just filled me up. So thank you. Go Um, make Jewish music, folks. (laughs) Yeah, go do it. It's not everybody who sees a niche and a need and decides to create something that has meaning and purpose and shares information and knowledge and thinks about it. We all dream about stuff in our shower, but most of us don't actually do it. So on behalf of the whole Jewish songwriter community, I want to just hats off to you for not only dreaming it, but making it happen. We need more of this, and I can't wait to see and hear where you and it goes. So thank you for including me. This is The Priestly Blessing by Perry Smilo. May God bless you with all good. May God keep all evil from you. And may God fill your heart with wisdom and grace you with all truth. May God lift up God's merciful face and shine on you for all time. And may God grant you With all good, may God keep all evil from you, and may God fill your heart with wisdom.
with all good May God keep all evil from you And may God fill your heart with wisdom thank Bruce Radin and the URJ for their on-site recording and technical help today. That's it for this episode of Jewish Songwriter. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. Jewish Songwriter is produced by Sheldon Lowe, edited by Ben Mazak of Native Sound on historic Cherokee Street in St. Louis, Missouri, and distributed by Hallelujah Music. Until next time, keep writing out there and thanks for listening. Part of my body